you're here this morning. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had what we called Vision Sunday, and I just want to remind you that I reminded us that, you know, for me, my vision for us as believers and as a church is that we would go back to the most important thing in our life, and that's that we continue to fall desperately in love with Christ. And so this series on worship, this two-week series, it was on purpose. We don't want to, it's not exhaustive. We're not like in a 12-week series and going to cover everything. But we did want us to realize that one way we express our love for Christ is through worship. And last week we talked about this, if you weren't here, is that at the very core of worship is being in the presence of God. You maybe remember that. That worship at the, its very core is about us being in his presence. And if we found out last week, to be in his presence, based on Ecclesiastes, the words of Solomon, basically what we found out was this, that when we're in his presence, we need to have preparation in our hearts to be in his presence. That we're not just to come in kind of haphazardly and casually, but as we enter the presence of God, realize we are entering the presence of God and there should be preparation that took place for us. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but those of you that are here last week, did you make preparation this week? Or are you like, oh, I forgot, right? Most of us do. But we're not just entering the presence of another person. We're entering the presence of the creator of the universe. He deserves us taking a little time to prepare our hearts. He deserves us taking a moment or two, forgetting the chaos that just happened in the car on the way to church, or happened in the home before you got to church, and going, God, I'm here with a purpose, and that is to meet with you. Preparation. We also talked about when we're in the presence of God, we need to come with an attitude to listen. We do way too much talking and not near enough listening to the word of God and what God has for us. And then ultimately we said this, that when you're in the presence of God and you come prepared and you come with a heart that is attentive and that is listening, at the end of the day, God is always going to lead you down a path of committing yourself to some, in some level and in some way to him. And so the presence of God is the core of worship. Now today, we're going to talk about participation. See, worship is also about responding to being in the presence of God, right? I mean, now I'm in the presence of God, I'm worshiping. Now remember, worship happens publicly, but it also happens privately too, right? I mean, you can be alone in your house, or some of you, I know you've got a lot of deer hunters in the room, and you would say this to me, that I know Bill and I have talked about this, that being out in creation, man, you just feel a connection with God like you don't feel anywhere else. So it happens publicly, and it happens privately as well. And so when we enter his presence... There's to be that, that, that preparation. There's to be that sense of listening. But when I'm in his presence and I'm listening to him, it always leads me to a commitment. It always leads me to respond. It always leads me to participate. Now, here's what we all know, true. The athletic world, they got this figured out, don't they? They got this whole worship participation thing figured out. I mean, have you, anybody ever been to an NFL game? Or any kind of professional. Anybody been to a 
college game. Now that's a whole different bird, right? I remember one time I was at, uh, I lived in St. Louis and we went to watch the Cardinals play the Giants. It was a round of playoffs and I was like 20 rows up with me and my father-in-law and somebody else and we're sitting there and, and the Cardinals were getting beat and the Giants always just seemed to have our number back then and they were getting beat and about five rows down, or five chairs down from in the same row, there was this guy and it's, it's just going to be fair to say he was a bit on the intoxicated side by about the sixth inning. And he always seemed to have a full glass of beer. You know those guys, right? And the madder he got, the more he sloshed his drink. And I remember one time about the sixth inning, we should have got a hit. Well, actually, we got a hit, and the guy got thrown out going to second. And he stood up and used the hand with the cup in it and was yelling at the player. Well, guess what about the person in front of him? Yeah, drenched in alcohol, right? Now, if you've ever been to those games, here's what you know. People are crazy, aren't they? I mean, people paint their face. I mean, the Green Bay Packers, good night. Those people going 20 degree below zero, and they'll be bare-chested paint on with a cheese head on. I mean, these guys, when they get in the presence of their team, they go nuts, right? But yet, when it comes to worshiping a king, we tend to be more stoic, don't we? Contemplative. And here's just a thought I want you to think about. Is it true that if we are worshiping a king, a creator, an infinite and unchangeable God, that he deserves our enthusiasm in our worship. Doesn't he deserve that? Yes. yes, he does. He does. He deserves that. But when we talk about participation in worship, listen, I've been around church a long time. Here's what I know. That makes some of us a bit nervous. Because we know what the extreme charismatic side would, would look at that, and, and that makes us nervous. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. I loved my church. It was a great church. But I can remember as a kid, there could be a choir special, and some of you know what that is, and that's okay. But there could be a special song or something, and they could knock it off the chart. And you're like, whoa. And all you would hear was this low, amen. That was it. That was it. There was no participation beyond that. I remember as a teenager, the first time I heard them clap in church, applauding something that had been done. So, I mean, part of the reason that it makes me nervous at times is because my heritage, my background. Some of you makes you nervous because you're like, I don't, I don't know that I get that. That's out of my comfort zone and my wheelhouse. So, today we're going to talk about participating in worship. And I know that's going to make some of you feel a little bit uncomfortable. So, here's what we want to do. I want to watch one of my favorite Christian comedians, Tim Hawkins, for about two minutes. And I want you to listen to what he says about worship. Laugh. It's funny. But there's a point he makes that we're going to come back to before we jump into Scripture on these areas of participation. So watch this. And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know, anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Am I here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? Some of you are trying, you're like, I can't. I want to, Tim. I need to get some momentum. Totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us, but don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. we got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking. Start slow, hands in the pockets, little elbow flap, you're fine. Very subtle, get warmed up, get your heart rate up. 
when you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. We got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three. Well, maybe you're not quite as uh, uptight now, right? So maybe I can get you back. But there's a point there. Everybody expresses themselves differently. And there's freedom in how you express yourself. And what I want to do today, in fact, there's, there's two words in the Old Testament that imply action. There are two words. And you might want to write these down. They're not in your listening guide. It's the word bless. Like you've heard the expression, bless the Lord. That's, that's an action word. And then the word praise. Almost all the time the word praise is used in the Old Testament, it is in a verb form. It means an activity that is to be done. Now what I want to do today is I want us to look at seven Hebrew words. I know when you came in today and you saw your listening guide, you're like, okay, am I supposed to like figure out what word is in this mess of letters here? Or, or what are we doing? Or was there like a serious confusion on the English barrier when we printed this thing? I know that. But there's seven Hebrew words that I want us just to look at this morning. And every one of these words are a word is a word for praise in the Hebrew language. But each one of them imply an action. So let's start with the first one. The first one is the word Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat. Now, if we said that correctly, <laughs> in the Hebrew language, there's three ways words form and end. It's the palatal, the labial, or the guttural. Now, the difference is the palatal is in the palate of your mouth, the labial's with your lips, and the guttural's in the back of your throat. Most Hebrew words begin and end with a guttural, which means if you said it correctly and you faced your neighbor, you'd probably leave some shrapnel from what you just said, all right? So we won't do that this morning, but it's the word shabak, and here's, what it, here's, here's the verse. Psalms 145.4 says this. It says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That word commend is the word praise. It's the Hebrew word shabak. So shabak means to commend. Now what does that mean? It means that the word commend and the word shabak means there's this inward confidence in who God is that leads me to shout boasting of his mighty works. That's what it means. It means there's an inward confidence in me about who God is that's going to lead me to shout or to declare and boast about his mighty works. Now, as I thought about that, I thought about that where I thought, we probably need some more Shabbat in our worship. 
Right? We need some more. And I'm not talking about you got to be a shouter. What I'm talking about is when you come into this place and you sing these songs and we get into God's word and, and we participate and we're, we're around this. I mean, there's something in us. There should be this inward confidence that goes, I know God can do it. I trust God. I mean, when I'm in the deepest moments of my life and I'm struggling, I am confident he is with me because he told me to be with me. When I'm struggling with life and thing is just throwing me a curveball, I'm confident that no matter when I feel there's no way out, that God will always provide a way out. Why? Because he told me that. See, Shabbat is this confidence in who God is and what God's about that leads me to shout or to declare his mighty works. And I'm just telling you, sometimes when I read scripture, or we sing songs, there's something in me that wants just to rise up and go, yes, 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 that's right. Like, there's, I don't even know what the name of the song is. Stephanie, correct me later. But there's one at the end of the song we say, yes, you are, yes, you are, yes, you are. Well, if you say that really fast, because I talk fast sometimes, and sometimes I enunciate all the, all the way through. And so, yes, you are, yes, you are, yes, you are. If you say it really fast, it's Yeshua, which is the Greek name for Jesus. And there's a part of me that when we sing that song in particular, I just want to stand up and go, yes, Jesus is all that I need. Jesus is my only hope. Jesus is my life. Yes, you are Yeshua. I mean, this whole idea of Shabbat is I'm so overwhelmed with my confidence, not in me, but my confidence in God that I can't help but to declare his mighty works, not my mighty works. And in our worship, I think we need some more Shabbat. Well, we are just confident, not in my ability, not in your ability, but his ability. And I can't help but to brag on him. That's Shabbat. Let me give you another word. Closely related, the word Barak. Psalms 95, 6 says this. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That word kneel, if you want to circle that in your Bible, underline that, that is the word barak. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us barak before the Lord, our maker. That word barak literally means to kneel down. Not just to take a knee, but to get on your knees and to kneel down. That's what it means. Now, why would that be significant and why would that matter? Because in this culture and even in the New Testament culture, getting on your knees meant something. It didn't mean you had a bad back and you got to go take a knee. It didn't mean somebody was talking to you and just take a knee. It means getting on your knee had three implications. One of them was the implication of humility. When you bowed down, when you got on a knee, it was a sign that you were humbling yourself before somebody. Now, think about this. Shouldn't the moments we have together in worship, there be moments that we intentionally get on our knees, whether it's public or private, we get on our knees and we go, God, I'm just going to humble myself before you because you got this thing figured out and I don't. God, I, I, I don't have all the answers, but I know you do. God, I know I act like I have my life together, but I really don't. And God, I desperately need you. And we get on our knees as a sign of humility that our need and desperation for God. But it also it implies surrender. That when we get on our knees, we are surrendering ourselves to the Lord. Have you ever watched those old military movies and when one group takes over another, what do they have them do? Besides lay their weapons down. What do they do? 
You get on your knees. Why? Because when you get on your knees, it's a picture of surrender. And this word barak, this kneeling down, means not only an expression of my humility, but an expression of my surrender. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm on my knees, and I'm surrendering to you. But it's also a picture of honor. Now, you can trace this all the way back into the Old Testament and the New Testament. We don't see this much anymore. But you know that in the Old Testament especially, and even in the New, that when someone of royalty entered into a room, people would do what, you guess? They would kneel in honor for who they are. Well, in case we've forgotten today, we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We worship the one who exists beyond time, beyond space. We worship the eternal, infinite, unchangeable God. And he is worthy of our honor, he is worthy of our surrender, and he is worthy of our humility. And what we need to do as a body of believers, and I need to do, is we need to have more Barak in our worship. There needs to be moments, whether it's public or it's private, that we intentionally get on our knees and go, God, I'm at the end of myself, and I just need to hear from you. God, I, I love you, I trust you, I honor you, you've got control, and I just trust that. God, I'm surrendering myself to you. We need some more Barak in our worship. Let me give you a third word. It's the word yada. Yada. Now, there's a lot of yadas in Scripture. In fact, the word yada, Y-A-D-A, is different than this word. You know, that word means to know. Like in the book of Jeremiah where it says, before you were formed, I knew you. That is a yada, Y-A-D-A. It means an intimacy of knowing. Husbands and wife, the two shall become one flesh. That whole idea is yada, the two becoming one. But this is Yada with an H at the end, and it's found in Psalm 63, 4. It says this, So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift my hands. That phrase, lift my hands, is the word Yada, another word for praise. Now, that's where some of us get really kind of uncomfortable. That's why I wanted to show you that video because, you know, it, you, we, at some point, we just got to go, you know what? I don't care what people think. I'm going to do what I'm comfortable with because I want to honor my God. And nobody's watching me. It's not between me and anybody else. I just want to do what I need to do to express my love and, and, and glorify and adoration to my God. But the word yada does mean the lifting of hands. And you're like, oh, are you about to make me do it? No, I'm not. Don't worry. Don't stress out. Take the sweat off your brow. But here's what I do want you to know. The word yada, the lifting of hands, implies longing. Truly, really what the Hebrew word is referring to. Now, if you're a parent in the room, do you remember when your kids, back when they were cute, like at two through five, you know what I'm talking about? That window there, come on, or maybe even a little younger, two through five when they were cute, and you'd come through the door, what would they come do? They would come running with their hands what? Now, how many of you go, I don't have time for you, and you just walk by them? Anybody? No, you didn't do that. What did you do? You, you dropped whatever you were doing and you just picked them up because you knew in that moment they were going to be 13 one day and that was never happening again. And so you, you picked them up and you go, yes, I love you. Yes, my day was terrible, but you just made this awesome. Why? Because there was a longing from the child to be near you, to be close with you, and to be in your presence. And this word yada means a longing, a lifting of hands, and even of the heart, because I long to be near God. I long to be in his presence, and I long to know him. That's what that word means. And is it possible we need some more yada in our worship? And I'm not just talking about your hand, but a lifting up of ourselves saying, God, I need you above all else. God, I desire and I long to be in your presence and to be near you. 
I long for you, Lord. I'm reaching up to him. Yada. Let me give you another word, the fourth word. It's the word toda. Psalms 50, verse 23 says this. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. That word thanksgiving is the word toda. The one who offers toda as his sacrifice glorifies me, or thanksgiving. It literally translates the extension of the hands. Not the lifting of the hands, but the extension of the hands. It means that we extend our gratitude to God for all he's done. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. Because here's one of Doug's fatal flaws in worship. Too many times I come into worship and I have my list of all the things I need to get out of my mouth and off of my chest and out of my heart that God can start getting busy on doing work for me. Anybody else like that? Like, I really need this done and I need that done. And God, oh, by the way, this stinks over here. And if you could kind of change their heart, boy, that'd make my life a lot easier. You know, I mean, I just begin to give God the litany of all the things I need him to do. Can you relate to that? But instead, Toda means... Beyond all that, first I'm extending my thanksgiving. What are we to thank God for? Let me, just, let me just start with a few things. You were dead in your sins and he rescued you. Let's start there. That while we deserve death, hell, and the grave, he sent his only son to die for us. So we put our faith in him. We have the hope of eternal life. Let's just start there. Let's talk about the provisions of God. How has God provided for you? How has God protected you? How has God blessed you? How has God just hover over you? How is God's presence with you? I mean, you could just go on and on and on. But what about if we started our worship with Toda? We started by saying, God, I thank you, not just for another day, not for just another breath, but I thank you for the ability to be in your presence. I thank you for the ability to celebrate what you've done for me. God, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. What if we started like that? Would that be a little different with my heart? Yeah, because you know what? Because listen, when I begin to thank God for all he's done for me, it reminds me, hey idiot, that's Doug's translation, hey idiot. He's in control. Just trust him. See, when I give him my litany of things I think he ought to be doing, it's reminding him, God, hey, it's like you have this eternal ability to forget, like me, you just don't remember things. And so in case, God, you forgot, I really want you to work on this. In case, God, you weren't thinking through it or you just didn't hear me say it last time, I want you to work on this. And when I do that, it's all about me. Toda is all about him and giving him thanksgiving. And is it possible that we need some more Toda? in our worship. Now here's what I want you to think about just for a minute. Are we beginning to get the picture that worship is about participation? That in our worship we're to express our thanksgiving, we're to express our longings for him, that in worship, we are to express our humility and surrender to him. That in worship, we're to express our confidence in him. Are we beginning to get the idea that worship is to be participation? If you kind of get that, just say amen this morning. Amen. Okay, good. I'm glad you got it because we're going to try it. Here's what I mean. I have three more, and we're just going to come back to them in a minute. But I want to take a moment and give you a chance to do what we just talked about. And I'm not going to say, okay, everybody raise your hand on three, everybody extend them on two. I mean, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about a moment. We're going to use the vehicle of music where we pause and we quit worrying about people around us and what's going on. 
and we just declare our confidence in who God is. A moment that maybe we just need to kneel and declare our surrender and humility to him. A moment we need to declare our longing for him. Or a moment we need to declare our thanksgiving for him. And if you say, Doug, hey, look, man, I hear you, I hear you, but I'm just not comfortable with that. Okay, I get it. Because let me just tell you this, if you're not, if you're not comfortable with that and you just want to sit there, you want to stand, you just want to kind of read the words on the screen, I get it, it's okay with me, it doesn't matter to me, but here's what I would say to you. Make sure you lift up your heart at least to him. Because you know what? There are people who are very expressive in the worship that nothing's changed in here and that's just called showmanship. But that's just performance. And I'm not talking about performance. I'm not talking about hooping and hollering just because I want people to hear me hooping and hollering. I'm talking about the overflow of my heart. It's being lifted up to him. That's what expresses my confidence. That's what leads me to surrender. That's what leads me to longing. That's what leads me down a path of thanksgiving is what's going on in here. So if you're not comfortable with that, man, I get it. It's okay. But would you start in here at least going, God, I'm going to offer you my heart this morning. I do long to be with you. God, I do long to be surrendered to you. God, I do thank you for all you've done. And God, I do trust you. I do have confidence. Would you start there? But for everybody else in the room, we're going to sing. And you can stay seated. You can stand. You can kneel. I don't really care. Because it's not between me and you. It's between you and the Lord. And I want you to just take a minute and just begin to prepare your hearts to really express yourself to the Lord. Whether that's just with singing of a song, whether that's just lifting up your heart, and it may even possibly be someone who decides, hey, I'm going I'm to lift my hand to a door and long for the Lord. It doesn't matter to me. But I want us to be a church that participates in our worship privately and publicly. So here's what I'm going to ask you. Everybody just close your eyes just for a moment. Just kind of block out what's going on. Just close your eyes. And if you're here this morning and say, you know what, Doug? I have no idea what you're talking about because I don't have a relationship with Christ. This is a little bit odd to me. I get it. But my prayer for you as we sing these songs, these songs are loaded and dripping and oozing with truth. That you realize you do have a longing. You do have a void in your life and in the void is for relationship with Christ. But if you're a believer in the room today, I'm not asking you to fabricate anything. I'm asking you to surrender your heart to the Lord. Lift it up to Him. Express your confidence in who He is. Express your need to surrender and humble and be honoring to him. Express your longing for him. But please express your thanksgiving for all that he's done. So that's what we're going to do today. Lord, bless this time as we sing. Amen. I sing praises to your name. Praises to have a seat if you want to, if you can. This felt like it was important for us to pause and just go, you know what? It's not enough just to contemplate. 
It's important for us to declare it, right? Our confidence in God. You know, I remember um, on May the 28th of last year at 1.30, got a phone call that said that, hey, I think your dad, it's, it's time. He's, he's about to pass. And I remember getting in the car and I called Mike and, and Mom and Donna and said, hey, you need to get there. And I remember getting in the car and I just remember driving and I thought, man, I just started, I just, I just, I was just like yelling to the Lord. But that was my former worship because I knew he had my dad. I knew where my dad was going and I knew this was it. And it was my declaration with my confidence in who he was and what he was about to do in a car at 1.30 in the morning, driving like a madman to get there. And I was going, God, I know you got him. That's worship. It's worship. Declaring your confidence, even in the painful moments, surrendering yourself, longing for him, and thanking him for all that he's done. As we close today, quickly, let me give you the last three words. I want you to write these down. The first word is the word halal. Psalms 150 says this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty heavens. That word praise in all three spots is the word halal. It's where we get the word hallelujah. Now here's what that word means. It means to rave about. It means to rave about. Like how many of you, when you, when you found the one you were spending the rest of your life with, man, you couldn't quit talking about him when you got home? How many of you were like that? If you're a guy, you probably should raise your hand right now, right? <laughs> I remember going home telling my mom I met her. And she's like, well, you met who? You know, I'm like, I, I, you just can't quit talking about it. In fact, the word hallelujah means I'm going to rave and I'm going to rave and I'm going to rave and I'm not going to stop raving. In fact, if you trace the word all the way out in different meanings, it means to become undignified. That's what it means. Now, the best biblical example I can give you is the King David. That King David in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark which represented the presence of God, had been taken, and it was coming back into Jerusalem. And David met the, the Ark as it was coming in. And the Bible says that David danced before the Lord. And Michal, the woman up there in, the, in the, the, the loft watching, was talking about how undignified David was. And David says, if you think that's undignified, you haven't seen anything yet. I mean, this king who had kingly robes took all his kingly robes off. Keep your clothes on. Took all his kingly robes off, and he danced in an ephah. Basically, his fruit of the looms, what he was dancing in. It was his undergarment as a priest. Now, your point is, you say, okay, Douglas, should we do No, 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 that's not the point. The point is, David didn't care what anybody else thought. He wasn't worried about what anybody else thought. He was going to worship and express himself to the Lord because he knew that the God is good. And that's what he did. He danced before the Lord. Halal. Is it possible that our worship needs a little bit more halal in it? That as we sing, come on, come on. As we sing, there's always that part of us. See, there's the beauty of the front row. Nobody hears you. Nobody hears you. And you sit in the front row by the speaker, you can't hear yourself. <laughs> But there's so many people that go, well, I just can't sing. Listen, offer your praise to God. Offer your halal to God. I mean, don't care what people think. Don't worry about people watching you. You be honest. You be transparent. And you express your love and your adoration to a king who's worthy of it. Amen. Halal. And I think we need a lot more of that in my life, privately and publicly. The next word I want to give you is the word zamar. Psalms 21, 13 says this, Be exalted, O Lord, in strength. We sing and praise 
your power. The word zamar means a joyful expression through music. And it literally means through musical instruments and through singing. Now, we have a few that play musical instruments, but really the idea is that of singing. That singing and adoring with our mouths and singing more than words on a screen, but singing the very essence of what God has done for us and thanking him for that, that should be part of our worship. Well, Doug, I can't sing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God inhabits the praises of his people. It doesn't say God inhabits those who are qualified and can sing really good praises. Because listen, if that's the case, most of us would never sing. Right? Zamar. Sing and worship him. When we sing, would you just open your mouth, not because we want you to sing, but because we know that singing and adoring to our Savior is worth it, and we need to participate in that way. One last word. Tehillia. Tehillia. Isaiah 61. To grant to those that mourn in Zion, to give them a beauty, a beautiful headdress, instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, instead of mourning, the garment of praise, instead of a faint spirit, they will may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and they may be glorified. The phrase is the garment of praise. That word praise is tehelia, and it literally means, it refers to singing, but not the act of singing, but what we're singing. It's not just the fact we need to be singing and praising God. It's what's coming out of our mouth. Tahalia really means that we're to sing things that are spiritual and that fill our hearts with praise toward our Savior. You know one of the things that you probably none of you think about, but this is true. How much time we spend preparing for Sunday morning because we want to make sure the songs we sing are theologically and biblically correct. Because there's a whole bunch of songs that are warm, fuzzy, feel good that are not rooted anywhere in Scripture. And when we sing to the Lord, make sure what we sing is worthy of his praise. Do you know that in the New Testament, that most of the times they would sing scripture? Did you know that? You know why they would do that? Because you can't screw that one up. That's truth, right? In fact, Colossians says they sung uh, uh, hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. Spiritual songs referring to those that are scripture. And when we tehillia, we are singing truth. Now here's the point today, all right? Here's the point. All seven words are driving us down to this one thought. Worship is not about being a consumer. It's not about us sitting there going, God, just, just come on, come on, God, come on, come on, band, come on, duck, let me, you just feel, it's not about being a consumer, it's about being a participant. But isn't that true in our life too? Remember a couple years ago, we did a series and we talked about not being a fan of Jesus, but being a follower of Jesus. One sets up in the stands and cheers, one gets into the grind, right? Worship is the same way. Worship is not designed to be a consumer event. It's designed to be something we do to participate publicly, privately, that we participate. We express our confidence. We express our longing. We kneel before the Lord. We give him thanks. We sing to him. We sing songs that are truth to him. I mean, it is a participatory event in our lives. And maybe as you leave today, you just need to ask yourself this one question. What has been holding you back from really participating privately or publicly in your worship? And I'm going to ask you to take a step today. Here's the step. Would you at least this morning join me in doing the last word, Tehillia? And that's in a moment we're going to sing. And would you sing with me the truth that we're about to declare 
let's just at least take that step today. Let's sing truth about who God is and what he's done for us. And if you're here today and you say, Doug, man, I do not have a relationship with Christ, listen to me. The reason we as believers can get so jacked up on a Sunday morning about this kind of stuff is because there is a God who saved us, who rescued us, who loves us, even when we are unlovable, even when we blow it. And I would love when we're done today to tell you about that God and introduce you to him. So please don't leave. Please find me after you're done. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, worship has to be part of our life. Worship is about being in his presence, and once I'm in his presence, I respond by participating. Well, Doug, do I have to do all seven of those at one time? No, no, no. But participate. Let God stir your heart, and maybe it is just a, a shout or declaration of your confidence in him. Maybe it is just a kneeling on the ground and just going, God, I'm wretched, I'm pitiful, and I just need you today. Maybe it is that. Maybe it is that surrender. Maybe it is a longing for him. Maybe it is a moment where you give him thanks or you sing or, or you do whatever. I mean, just participate because he's worth it. And here's what I know about me. The moments in times of worship where I choose to be stoic, meaning do nothing, feel nothing, sense nothing, I'm just physically present, that's not worship. That's not worship. I can go to a movie and do that. Amen. He's worth it. Do you know that when they entered the temple, there was such reverence for it that if you did things wrong, they lived with the fear that God might just take you out. Do we have that fear today? That we are so in the presence of God that we wouldn't be so careful with what we say and what we do because we want everything to be honoring to him. So would you just take that step this morning? Let's Tehillia together. Let's sing truth together. So let's all stand up and I'm going to pray for us as the band leads us. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I know today is so weird for us because this is not just something we talk about all the time. And, and some of us have so much baggage with, with denominational heritages and backgrounds. But at the end of the day, Lord, my prayer for everyone, if they just kind of don't get what I said today, is this, is that worship is, must be a part of the life of a believer. That our worship is about being in your presence, a presence that is humbling, a presence that is overwhelming. And God, I really believe when we get lost in your presence, our hearts are most susceptible to respond. God, when I think about what you've done in my life, I do want to declare, I do want to shout of your mighty works. God, when I think about who I am and who you are, it does lead me to a point of wanting to kneel and to surrender and to humble myself before an almighty God. God, when I think about the fact that you are mindful of me, it makes me want to lift my hands and lift my hearts and longing for more of you. And God, when I think what you've done for me by sending your son to the cross, I want to extend all that I have to thank you for that. And God, my prayer for us today is that we would not be ashamed of you. We would not be ashamed of what people think, that we would just worship you. That we, like David, go, if you thought that was undignified, man. Because I just love a king. And my king deserves my praise. And my king deserves my heart. And my king deserves my worship. And God, today I pray that we would hallelujah together today. That we would sing truth as we leave today. God, I love you. 
And I thank you. And I pray that this week our private worship time would be off the chart. That this week we would get alone with you and that you would just overwhelm our souls, overwhelm our spirits. So that next week when we come even to church in the park, we come with a heart ready to celebrate you. A heart ready to give you honor and glory and thanks. God, we love you. And may we celebrate you today. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for